Good morning. It's good to be together uh, to sing praise to God, to be reminded uh, because we're so distracted by everything that's going on in our world, our own personal world, the world at large, and to remember that God's with us. On this Palm Sunday, it's good to get, be together to uh, just remember that God has done wonderful things for us. He's recorded events in Jesus's life. And by the way, if, if you don't know this or you need reminded, we hardly know anything about Jesus's ministry, his life on earth. We just know highlights, little tidbits. And God has chosen those because those are the important things he wants you and me, his people, to know around the world to follow Christ. The spirit moved the writers uh, to get to the important information to us. I, I kind of like history, at least when it's taught well. <laughs> and, and I would love to travel back in time to see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, this first Palm Sunday, to know what it was like to, to hear, to see, the, uh, to smell the smells, to see the excitement. I wonder what it was really like. We have all our, you know, we, we've seen maybe movies or we read the accounts, but the Spirit of God can really take us there. We can hear Jesus teach. We can, we can get the experience of all the emotions, of the joy, the sorrows, even the anger that Jesus felt during that week. We see the ups and downs of his followers' faith. We see how they really didn't understand what he came to do fully. We see the crowd's fickleness shouting, save! That's what Hosanna means, by the way. Save! What, what a great cry but they didn't understand what he needed to do to save. So they were fickle and they turned on him, the religious leaders growing hatred, and they were so upset that the crowds were yelling, Hosanna, they couldn't stand it. They wanted to suppress it, and it seemed like they were losing the battle. It is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Passion Week or Holy Week, and God draws our attention to Jesus. John's gospel, by the way, almost half of it, chapters 12 through 21, deal with Christ's passion. Half of his book just deals with this, mostly this one week of Jesus' life. And all that, G that God promised to do, defeating Satan and, and defeating sin, it was all being accomplished and we get to ponder it. We get to reflect on it today. We get to think about it this week and think about what it means for us. So here's where we're gonna to go today. Some thoughts to consider and then to be changed by. That's the tough one, <laughs> to be changed by them. Consider Jesus' resolute, his determined journey, his solitary journey to the cross that brings us salvation. We wanna take a few moments to do that because no one else except God the Son, Jesus the Messiah, could do that. Only he could go to the cross and die for the world's sins. And yet, Jesus invites you and me to pick up our cross daily and follow him. What does that mean to pick up my cross, for you to pick up your cross daily and follow him? We want to think about that. And then we want to consider Jesus' deep suffering. He willingly experienced not only physical suffering on the cross, but he experienced separation from God the Father, God abandonment 
for us. We cannot share in that suffering. Only he could do it. And yet, we're told that we need to not only know his resurrection power, but to share in his sufferings so that we can share in his glory. What does it mean to share in Jesus' suffering so that you can share in his glory? And then thirdly, I want to take a few minutes today before we celebrate his death and resurrection for us through communion to think about what it means to be delivered. The glorious deliverance of Christ, forgiven, justified, given new life, and that we're sent then to be the messengers of that deliverance, the delivered ones spreading the message of deliverance, actually being a part of taking that deliverance to the world. So let's look. Jesus' resolute and solitary journey. Uh, had Dave read uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 28, uh, just to give us a picture of this shouting Hosanna, save us. Well, the people didn't understand. Even the disciples, his followers, didn't fully understand that he had to go to the cross. But Jesus knew his mission. Early on, if not all of his life on earth, we don't know for sure. But in Luke's gospel, what we know a little bit about his childhood. When he was age 12, he was in the temple. He, his, he had come for Passover celebration. His parents were on their way back home. He stayed back in Jerusalem. And when his parents found him three days later, I can just imagine how exasperated they were looking for their son for three days, 12-year-olds. And he looked at them and he said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? He knew his mission. He knew what it was about by the age of 12. He never turned from it. In John chapter 2, his first miracle that John records, turning water to wine at the wedding, he said to his mother who was asking him to do something to fix the problem, we're out of wine, he said, it's not my hour. <laughs> my hour's not here yet. It's not time for me uh, to be glorified. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to him in the night and he said, as Moses lifted up the servant in the desert on that pole, on that tree, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He understood his mission. In John chapter 12, uh, we just read it. The hour has come. It's my time to do the work that I was sent to do. Jesus knew his missions, but his disciples weren't clear about it. They believed he was the Messiah. They were shouting, save us, many of his followers on that Palm Sunday. But they didn't understand that he had to suffer, that it was necessary for our sins to be covered. The majority of the people in Israel didn't understand it. In Matthew's account, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, the whole city was stirred up and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, he was a prophet. He was the prophet, but he was so much more than that. They didn't get it. Not a clear understanding of how evil they were, how much they needed salvation. No understanding that there was the cross, the suffering, the God abandonment for our sins before the righteous one could be glorified. For the wages of sin is death. And he died the death so we could live. So Jesus' cross was, and death was his and his alone. And only a sinless savior could save us. Isaiah wrote, 
five, six hundred years before Jesus ever came, and he reminded us why Jesus the Savior would come. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, again, not his transgressions, but for my transgressions. For your transgressions. I can point my fingers at you because I know we're all transgressors. We break the rules. We've broken the law. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep who've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Only he could do it. And as Jesus spoke the truth, as his cross got closer, more and more people moved away. Interesting. First, the prideful religious leaders pulled back. Then many of his disciples in John chapter 6, when he said, you know, you have to identify yourself with me. you got to eat my flesh, not literally, but be identified with me. Take me in and make you my own. you got to drink my blood. You've got to be identified with my death and willing to suffer with me. And many disciples left. And then as Judas betrayed him. And then his own disciples scattered when he was being crucified and under trial. But he was doing it for us. He knew his mission. It was his cross alone. And he knew he was not only going to suffer physically. He's not the only man who ever suffered on a cross. But he would not only suffer suffer physically for us, but he would be separated from God. So we never have to be separated from God's grace. That's Jesus's cross. But what about our cross? In Luke's gospel, chapter nine, Jesus said this about the cross right after Peter had made the great confession. You are the Christ. You're the savior, the son of the living God. Jesus then began to tell to his disciples that he was going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on a third day be raised again from the dead. And then here's what he said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So what is my cross? Well, it's not because I'm a human being. It's not because I'm a man, because, yeah, we men have our problems. (laughs) So our daily cross has to do with cost of following, believing that Jesus is the Savior. That's our cross. It can mean imprisonment. It can mean physical suffering. It can mean death. It can mean something as simple as being ridiculed. It can mean something as being taken advantage of because we turn the other cheek, because we forgive even when we're not forgiven. We bless instead of cursing when others curse us. 
So they don't understand us. They ridicule us. They make fun of us. They take advantage of us. We're overlooked for advancement because of our faith, because of how we live our lives. That's our cross. It's mostly about being willing to give up my will for God's will. That's carrying your cross daily, giving up your will and surrendering to God's will the way Jesus did, surrendering his will, not my will, but your will be done when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, preparing to go to the cross. Carrying your cross daily is that spiritual battle that you have because you're a follower of Christ, because you believe in him. So now there's this war going on in your heart. There's the old sin nature that says, do it this way, do it your way. And the spirit of God's there saying, no, you know that's not right. You can do something better, and there's this war going on. And you know, that war wouldn't be there in your heart, in your mind, and in your heart if you weren't a follower of Christ. There would be no battle. you just go your own way. But now there's this battle. That's a cross that you're carrying because you are a follower of Christ. I love the account in John chapter 21. Jesus was confronting Peter after his three denials, and in the morning after breakfast, they were walking along the beach. And, and maybe you're familiar with the story. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he asked him that three times. And, and Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Of course I love you. And then Jesus said, well, you know what, Peter? Just feed my sheep and follow me. Do my will, not your own will anymore. And he said, Peter, someday you're going to be stretched out. And tradition has it that Peter was crucified. He did die as he promised he would following the Lord. It's just a little bit later on than when he was bragging about it on the night of Jesus' trial. But Peter got upset and he looked around and he said, well, what about John? How come he's not going to die that way? And Jesus just looked at him and said, carry your cross. Don't worry about his. Your path is different. Same mission, make disciples, feed my sheep, however you're gifted, however God has designed you to do. How are we using our lives to do the kingdom work of God? Carry your cross. Feed God's sheep. Don't get envious of others' cross, <laughs> but take assessment and this is a great week to do that. Lord, am I carrying my cross? Am I feeding your sheep? Am I doing your will above mine? A great week to do that. Secondly, though, Jesus' cross, his alone, but we have a cross that's ours alone. Are you carrying your cross? Am I carrying my cross? Am I surrendering to God's will? And then secondly, I'd just like to take a moment on this Palm Sunday as we see Jesus moving into Jerusalem, resolutely going to the cross, even though he knew it was going to be terrible suffering, to think about his deep love and the suffering that only he would know and experience. If we were to folk take a few minutes, in John chapter 19, and I'm not going to read that chapter, but you might want to turn there, Jesus says many, there's seven last words of Jesus. Often we speak about those on, on Good Friday. I just want to highlight a few. His last words reveal how deep his love is. Think about this. 
As Jesus was dying on the cross, he's hanging on the cross, he's been beaten and whipped, he's been up all night, he's had to carry the cross and have help carrying it because he's so weak. He's hanging there suffering physically, he's dying. And here's what his thoughts are. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Think about how deep his love is. He's dying, he's suffering, and he's thinking about others and God asking God to forgive them. That's how deep his love is for sinners, for evil people, for wicked people. He still is thinking about them. Dying and suffering, he still has the power to save. What did he say to the thief on the cross who believed in him? Today, I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. So here he is, the Savior. He's dying and suffering, and yet he has the power in that very moment as God to rescue and to promise and to fulfill that promise. <laughs> Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's deep love. That's great power. Dying and suffering, he looks at his mother, and we have that recorded in John's account, verse 26 of chapter 19. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So dying and suffering, your savior, God the son, looks out and he takes care of those who he has set his love and passion on. And his mother's just an example of us. Last week we sang a song. I happen to love it. I like it a lot. Savior, you can move the mountains. You are mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Hey, you want to get to heaven? Don't grab onto my coattails. I'm not going to get you there. I can't get there myself. Grab onto Jesus' coattails. Do you know the story of the woman who was sick for years and years? She reached out and grabbed onto his garment. She was healed. That's a picture, not only of physical healing, but the power of Christ to take away your sins and usher you with him into paradise forever. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. His great love and his great suffering. In John chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said two words, and it sums up his physical suffering. I thirst. 
Because the word became flesh and because he dwelt among us, he suffered physical pain. And that physical suffering is an outward symbol of the inner spiritual suffering Jesus was experiencing. Just know this. When Jesus said, I thirst, he was just reminding us that he, the sinless one, experienced the worst of life. He knows your life. He suffered long hours after the Last Supper, the garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the mental and emotional strain when he was praying, the betrayal, the desertion, the trial, the rough handling, the beating, the whipping, the cross carrying, the cross suffering. He understands physical pain. But most importantly, he suffered what you and I don't have to know. My God, my God, he said, why have you forsaken? Why would God the Father forsake his perfect son? We cannot know the full meaning of that separation. No matter how deep our sorrows feel like in this world. You've never been God abandoned. Because God's grace and his presence is still here with us if we would reach out for it. The outcome of our sinful rebellion, if we refuse Christ's salvation, will be God abandonment for all eternity. A conscious awareness that there's never any hope for redemption or forgiveness or change. Not that God would wish that on us, but because we've decided that we do not want his salvation. It is called hell. It is called physical and soul suffering, and Jesus did it on the cross so we would not have to ever experience God abandonment. That's how deep his love is. That's how deep his suffering was, and he willingly went there to save us. What's going on with Jesus when he says, God, why have you left me, forsaken me, abandoned me? Well, we know why he did that. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sins of the world. For our sake, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, who can tell the majesty of Christ? I can't comprehend how glorious Jesus is when he's in heaven. So if we can't understand how glorious he was, we don't understand how much he gave up to become one of us. And yet he willingly did it in order to save us. That is amazing love. Jesus suffered and yet in Philippians, Paul writes that we not only should share in Christ's resurrection power, that I may know him, Philippians 3, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. How can I share in Christ's suffering? Again, it has to do with obedience. Surrendering my will to God's will. That's a tough call, isn't it? 
Although he was a son, it says of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. We are told that the captain of our salvation was made, a perfect, was made perfect through suffering. Therefore, we who are sinful and who are far from being perfect must not wonder if we're called to pass through the same kind of suffering. Must Christ pass through seas of his own blood to win the crown and we get to walk to heaven in silver slippers? Again, Charles Spurgeon here. Jesus walks suffering and I get to run in my Adidas or my favorite running shoes, comfortable shoes, and walk to heaven. No, we learn to trust God. We are shaped by our suffering. So if Christ is made perfect, he understands who we are, the perfect high priest that understands what it's like to walk in this world. Don't be surprised that we have to suffer too and share in that suffering when we obey God's will and we suffer for it. We will be exalted just like Jesus is. So let that inspire our obedience. So we're watching Jesus ride to Jerusalem and he's determined to go to the cross. It's his mission. He loves us deeply. He's not going to turn from it. He invites us to trust him and to suffer with him because we know we'll be raised to life with him. He promises us that if we trust in him, we're not going to be disappointed. So what does he do for us? What has Jesus' death accomplished for you and me? So this Holy Week, this Passion Week, I hope you take time to read one of the Gospel accounts or all the Gospel accounts. Read John's account, chapter 12. It starts Palm Sunday through the end of his letter. Just to think about all that Jesus went through and reflect on it. What has he done to deliver us? What has his cross going accomplished for you and me? Well, we receive forgiveness. Like Isaiah, like Isaiah wrote, Isaiah, that's, uh, that's Australian, isn't it? <laughs> um, Psalm 103 reminds us that our sins are removed through God's compassion. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He treated his son like we should be treated so that we don't have to be treated that way. It's amazing love. Psalm 103, reread that chapter, that, that psalm. But we're not only forgiven of our sins because of what Christ done, we're justified. We're, we have justification. That's more than forgiveness. It's clearance of my soul, your soul, from any guilt of sin. Now, I'm as all guilty as all get out, as the saying goes, of sin. And yet God looks at me and says, guiltless. How can God get away with that? How can he be just? How can he be righteous when he looks at sinful people and says, not sinful? White as snow. How can he do that? It's because of what Christ has done. Clearance of the soul from any guilt of sin. The person who believes in Jesus is put in a place of purity. To be justified before God is to be put in such a condition that no trace remains of the guilt of sin. Not a trace of sin remains. That is amazing. 
Jesus solved our issue of unrighteousness at the cross. And he declares us righteous. He makes us righteous. He makes us clean. So believer, you are in a position of purity. Jesus is the Savior, and his love for us runs deep. Trust him for salvation. Believe in his payment if you haven't done that yet. There was a young boy who was asked by someone, how do you know your dad loves you? And he said, he fixed my flat tire on my bicycle. How do you know Jesus loves you? He died to fix my flat, sinful, hell-bound life. And he fills it with blessing. He patches it. He does more than patch it. He makes it new. How will people know that God loves them? Well, the delivered ones spread the news and live differently, live like Christ more and more because they have been sent, like Jesus was sent, to bring that deliverance to the world so that they can taste and see that God is everything he says he is, slow to anger and abounding in love, filled with compassion, Let it make a difference in how you live this week and how you speak to people this week and how you pray for one another this week. Let's pray together. Lord God, your love for us is a one and only kind of love. But then you give that love to us so that we can take it out into this world that desperately needs to be changed, to be transformed, and you offer everyone in all the world this great salvation. Lord, as we watch you die and then rise again, let it make us new people. Let it transform us. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.